0: okay this morning i'm going to be sharing from john the 13th chapter in this particular chapter here is so amazing i honestly believe that it is one of the most incredible portions in all the word of god john the 13th chapter it is the absolute fulfillment of john the 17th chapter and so when we read John 13, and later in, in the week, I'm gonna, I want to go through, uh, as, as God leads us, go through John 17, because they go together. But here's John the 13th chapter. In verse 1 it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, so when it's saying this, before the feast of the Passover, w- when it's saying that here, uh, this morning, it's talking about Exodus, the 12th chapter, and those first 13 verses. In Exodus, the 12th chapter, and those first 13 verses there, that is the type of which Jesus Christ is the antitype. This is the shadow. Christ is the substance. There wouldn't even be a shadow if there were not substance. This is Christ himself. Now, when I look at Exodus 12, 1 to 13, this involves in the type Leviticus chapter one in those first four verses. And it also goes into Leviticus the 16th chapter in in that chapter right there, especially those first 20 verses in the 16th chapter of Leviticus. So it says, now when the feast of the Passover Before the feast of the Passover, notice that, it's before this. Jesus is going to show them himself, which is the fulfillment of that Passover. The the types in the Passover, you'll see 1 Corinthians uh, 5 and verse 7, Christ is our Passover, sacrificed for us. That's us, the church, to which those in the Old Covenant only knew in the shadow, but we have the substance of him. That's just this little little first verse here. And before it, when Jesus knew that his hour, when it says his hour here, when he knew that it was his hour, this is his hour. I'm going to first show, first this morning, God would have us to show, as he showed me, and shows us together for all those that took the time to come, to hear the word of God, to hear it, to receive it, and then be a support to each other, those of us that took the time and the seriousness of the opportunity of it. This is his hour, he said, it was his hour. Now, this is what Satan and the atmosphere in his, his evil, angelic, fallen kingdom of which he's the usurper is found in Luke 22, and we see this, we see it very clearly in Luke 22, and I'll turn there and I'll read that scripture again. If you want, I can show you these, these pages are just as blank as the others. This is Luke 22 and verse 53. When I was daily, this is Christ, and he's speaking to the Pharisees. I wonder who he's really speaking to. When I was daily with you in the temple, you you didn't stretch forth your hands against me, but this is your hour. (laughs) This is your hour and the power of darkness. If you want to know what the power of darkness is, is involving here we have to get into Matthew the 27th chapter and when you read Matthew 27 you're gonna see the darkness of what was happening on Calvary and in a sense there was a darkness that was involved just between the Father and the Son of course we we get the benefit and we know it in part in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11 and even that that we know in part in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 it says we know in part when it says that even we know in part, we have to look at 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child and I put away childish things. We're gonna see how some of these things that were put away in John the 13th chapter. But, so even for us to know in part, this has to happen first, even for the part for us to continue on until the fullness of what Christ himself fulfilled. This is your hour. This is what they thought was their hour, their hour. Isn't that interesting? They have a thought and they think it's their hour. They have a thought, that's the unsaved. It's their hour, their time period. That's the the flesh that's in the Christian. When the will's not submitted, they have an hour. They have a plan. They have an hour. It's, it's called the hour of darkness, the power of darkness. We read that in Luke twenty-two fifty-three. 53. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 22, he said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, and we know evil in Psalm 51 and verse 4 is sin. If your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if he said in verse 23, if the light that be in you be darkness. How great is that darkness? How great is it? This was their hour. That's what they thought was their hour. But I'm going to show you what Christ was talking about when he said, this is, this is, this is my hour. It was his hour between him and his father, no one else. His hour. What was his hour? I'm going to show you. I'll read it again. I'm going to turn to Isaiah, the 50th chapter. Verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Whom have I put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Which, of course, he never did any of that. Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves. That's the power of darkness. The whole power of darkness from the enemy is that iniquity, which is the will not submitted, and that's brought out in the angelic conflict in Ezekiel 28 verse 15. It's brought out very clearly in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. Reality 16, 17, and 18 of what's gonna really happen as we see in the preceding verses in Ezekiel 28 verse 15 and those preceding verses. So we see the five-eye wills of the power of darkness. Then we see the five-eye wills of the power of God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So and again, Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? Of course, this has to do with the will submitted or not. When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power? See, power, power of darkness in the hour of the power of Christ, to deliver. Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers as a wilderness. Their fish stink because there is no water. Isn't that interesting? What do we like when we have no water of the word? Will's world's not submitted. What is it that would stink that would be in the Christian that they're not of in Romans 8, verse 9? I clothe, in verse 3 of Isaiah 50, the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. This is Christ. This is prophecy. This is Christ. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Weary here is brought to the pace of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. I don't think I know anything. Sometimes we think we do. He wakens morning by morning. Notice that? Here we are, gathered this morning. Here we are, gathered this morning. We made a choice. Isn't that a wonderful, what a beautiful opportunity. He wakens morning by morning. He awakens he those mornings, my ear to hear is the learned. This is the Lord. Now, verse 5. The Lord has given me, the Lord has opened my ear. If you want to know what the Lord has opened my, my ear is, then you have to take into consideration Exodus the 25th, 21st chapter in those first six verses and go right down a few after that. We don't have time to get into that, but the servant that was, was a master and he served a certain amount of time, if he wanted to stay there with his family and not leave, then he would be taken to the, the door post. And the side of the door and have his ear pierce through <laughs> and that spoke of absolute obedience with the will submitted this is what this is talking about this brings out 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 through 6 the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and then having in a readiness to revenge all your disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. This is something that Christ has done. This goes into propitiation, substitution, reconciliation, and the scores of other things. Oh boy. Lord God, thank you. So the Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. You don't want to know about rebellious and certain attitudes certain little subtle little attitudes that that become just when the Christian functions in those through the flesh, it's just functioning in the power of darkness, which is really, there is no power involved in it because Christ has done away with it. Little subtle attitudes, you can see that in First Samuel 15, 22. Some think because if they give sacrifices and they give like they should and they give, they think it's like it's a sacrifice and God's gonna skip over obedience. No, because rebellion is witchcraft. That's right. And stubbornness is idolatry. And because you've rejected me for remaining over you, well, I will also reject you, you see that. That's 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, and also brought out in 1 Samuel, the eighth chapter in those first seven verses. Where is everybody this morning? Verse six, I gave my back to the smiters, to the Roman cat and nine tails, do a study on it, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. You see it again. You see it in the synoptics in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What those soldiers did under the power in the hour of darkness and what they did to our precious Savior in our stead, what we deserved. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. He did answer this prayer, you know, in the resurrection. He answered that prayer, but it was in the resurrection. It's all the answers to our prayers. You see that in Acts 17 and verse 31. Therefore, well, I will not be confounded, therefore I set my face like a flint to that cross. And no matter what they did to me, no matter how that hour of the power of darkness in Luke 22, 53 came against me, it didn't stop me from going to my hour because my hour was to glorify the Father, to propitiate him. And then to be a substitute, to reconcile multitudes. You will see that and I will see that in Isaiah 53 in those 12 verses there. I set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be ashamed. Now, the hour of the power of darkness, Christ's hour, what was his hour? Well, And what was the difference between the two hours? This is being brought out in John 13. Just want to make that God made it clear and he wants to make it clear to me in in, in even a much deeper way than I even realize. And so we see what is brought out in the preponderance, in the continuance of the scriptures in terms of the revelation that never changes, but in the light, it gets brighter and brighter, the path in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. Here is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, it says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, and that wisdom there is, of course, that worldly wisdom. You'll see that in the first chapter. 1 Corinthians, I didn't come to you with with worldly speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the true testimony, the true witness of God. And who's the true witness of God to the believer that's in Christ? It's God, the Holy Spirit. For I determined, boy, this is something, I determined (sighs) not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. When he says much trembling, his his mind harkens back to Isaiah 66 verses one and two. Again, these are blank pages. No notes, no sources. Just God the Holy Spirit storing up in all of us way beyond what we're even aware of because he's faithful to what Christ has accomplished. And he's ever ready, the Holy Spirit, to take those things in John 16, 13, and 14 and show them unto us. No, I was with you in, my, in weakness, if we could only understand that. Babes, young men, spiritual fathers, in, in, in fear and in reverence and awe and much trembling at the word. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, even though all through the second epistle of Corinthians, those that Paul had taught would accuse him of this very thing. And oh boy, how they had counsel. (laughs) They had so much counsel. Boy, they had counsel to straighten him out. With enticing words of man's wisdom, man's wisdom apart from Christ and of the power of darkness, the enemy, but in demonstration and manifestation of the Spirit and of power, the Holy Spirit, the power is Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, that your faith, your absolute dependence should not stand or rest or be secure in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God again, which is Christ. For God has not given us the spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7, but of power and love and a well-disciplined mind. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are complete. That's, we have to get into the, you know, the epistle to Ephesians. Complete. You can see it also in Colossians 2.9 and 10. That's why Ephesians and Colossians go together. They dovetail beautifully and perfectly. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, all those that are in authority under Satan as human beings, under the atmosphere of Satan, who operate in his power of darkness, of this world. See, we're going to a world to come. That's in Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. It's a whole different world. Can't wait to be there. A whole different world. And so many others around my age are already there. Multitudes. Multitudes. They're all around the throne. Revelations chapter 5, 1 through 12. If you want to know what they're doing, that's what they're doing right now. They made up that heavenly choir. Nor of the princes of this world, those under the rulership of Satan, of this particular world system, Notice that. It is of that particular world system that come to naught. What is that? That's First John 2.15. Love not the world. This world. Neither the things that are in the world. That's our separate plans. Neither the things that are in this world. If any man love this world, the love of the Father won't be an operating principle in them. Even though he does love them. It won't be entered into their experience. And these are the things that are in the world, and this is what the enemy uses. The lust of the flesh, that that includes trying to get knowledge from the word of God without submission and without a proper experience. So now I know enough to leave myself. (sighs) Interesting. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these be the things that are not of the Father, but are of the the devil, Satan. And they are on their way seriously to passing away. In other words, that full lie that started in Genesis 3, went to six, it really started in eternity, but it entered into time to affect man's relationship with God, which was dealt with by Christ, who was the voice in Genesis 3, verse eight, who would fulfill the truth of Genesis 3 and verse 15, which would be the cross. He would do that. Because we know outside of Christ, in an unsaved state, or the flesh that's in the Christian in Genesis 6 and verse 5 in Genesis 8 and verse 21, every thought is only evil, what? It's continually. And again, evil there is the purpose, designs, desires, and everything. (laughs) One thought, one bad attitude is that. Just one. It affects the fellowship is over. not the, the love that he loves us with positionally never changes. Sin can't touch it, but boy, will it go into the experience. Boy, that's why we need the washing. John the 13th chapter, which we'll get to in a second. But, 1 Corinthians 2.7, but separated completely from that. And what a process that takes. It takes years. Folks, does. But we, those in Christ, but we <laughs> speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The mystery there you have to see is the truth of the first three chapters of Ephesians that go right into the reality of it in time in chapter 4, 5, and 6, and right into eternity. In a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. Which God ordained and set and was a part of Him. You see that in Revelations thirteen eight and Hebrews four and verse three. Before the world unto our glory, the glory of course of which Father had to be propitiated, and then as a substitute we could receive that glory. You'll see that in Romans eight verse twenty eight and Colossians one and verse twenty seven. Our glory. Listen to this: which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it. They would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Isn't that wonderful? The demons, the Satan, Satan demons, through these men. They didn't know it. As if they that was their hour and power of darkness. They thought they were getting rid of them. That's what they thought. That they could get rid of God, like the unsaved. And like us in the flesh, when we don't function in who we are in Christ. They get rid of them. But here in John 13. That's what it's speaking of. So if you want to know the sources, here they are. They're right here in the Bible. They're right here in this Bible. So now in John 13, verse 1, now before the the feast of the Passover, (laughs) which Jesus knew that his hour, now we know his hour, don't we? His hour was come that he should depart out of what? This world, what is that world? John 12 and verse 31 and John 14 and verse 30 and 1 John two fifteen. bring that out crystal clear that Jesus had nothing to do with this evil world system that's still continuing, neither the prince of it either, neither. He wasn't of the world. Anything about him in John 17 and verse 14 and us that are in him in John 17 and verse 16 aren't either. Not one single thing, and do I understand that? Do I even know what fellowship is? True fellowship. Hmm. Well, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father. See, when we function apart from the world, what do we experience? You know, if, when we function in the world as a Christian, we lose the reality of our position and our experience becomes one of one facing God as a judge when he's not, he's a father. In John 20, verse 17, Jesus said, I am going to my father and my God in a unique way that only he could be. And, and because he's doing that, and because of the resurrection, and because he was received and the father was satisfied in propitiation, our father and our God, our father and our God, unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, notice they were in it, but were they of it? (laughs) He loved them unto the end. The end of what? The continual beginning for all eternity. The end here is time, but is it over for us? Is everything about us time? Our plans, everything we do. Verse two, and supper being ended. He's fellowshipping with them. This is fellowship. Supper, supper. And supper being ended, supper. That supper that he had, you're gonna have to look in Matthew 26th chapter, and first Corinthians the eleventh chapter. And you will see it, the type brought out what we call communion, is brought out again in Exodus 12, 1 to 13. That's the supper. It was a memorial feast, a continual thought life, one of thanksgiving in Ephesians 5, 20 and 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 18. Supper being ended, the devil now, listen to this, now having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him. I'm gonna tell you the counsel that God was telling me this morning. And there was a brokenness in it for me personally. There was some godly sorrow going on in my heart this morning in 2 Corinthians seven ten, but it was out with, without regret because it was to get me out of the lie of the worldly sorrow, which has plenty of a continual regret because the regret is the lie that you're facing God as a judge and not as a father who deeply did everything to give you his desire. No wonder it says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Is he my delight? Or something else? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And they come from him. They have nothing to do with the desires of Genesis 6, verse 5, and Genesis 8, in verse 21. They don't have a single thing to do with it. Not a single thing. Heart. The devil now put into the heart. Now he can never enter our heart because Christ is there. That's position, that's why sin can't touch my relationship. He's not the God of religion, he's the God of relationship. Can't touch it. But it can touch my experience. Now, Matthew six, look at verse 19 to 21. Don't store up treasures on the earth where moth and rust corrupt. You'll follow it all the way through the details of life to the 34th verse of that 6th chapter of Matthew. Just follow it through. all, All those other things we put first before the kingdom, before his ruling and reigning over us, before he who without cause is first cause becomes secondary. And then we live in the negative effects of it when he's not first. He said in Matthew 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, your mind, your emotion, everything about you and these desires that have not a thing to do with him. And when we do, in our experience, what do we do in our experience? We betray him. We betray him. Isn't it nice to get taught this morning? we betray him. Now we can't positionally, will he ever betray us in John 6, 37 and 39 in John 10, verse 28 and 29? No, because him and the Father in John 10, verse 30 are one. That's propitiation. There would never be a substitute or reconciliation had the Father not been propitiated. Simon's sons to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Isn't that interesting? Does that include us in John 10 28 and 29? Does that include the fact that in part of God being propitiated, Christ being the substitute, that he reconciled everything? As far as God's concerned, is he looking at the lie of Satan that's coming to its end? Or is he functioning in the truth of who he is? Did he reconcile everything? All throughout eternity? And even now in time for us? Yes, because we have eternal life in 1 John 5, 11, and John 17, 2, and 3. We have it. We have it. He had given all things into his hand, even that including judgment in John 5, verse 22, and even judgment there at the, at the Bema seat, which is not judgment, it's manifestation of 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, and Romans 14, 10 through 12. For us, an evaluation seat, manifestation seat, a time where there'll be great rejoicing even I think even a proper sorrow even there. But it's without regret because it's not a sin issue at all brought out. And then he's a judgment at the great white throne in Revelations 20, 11 to 15, for the unsaved that don't have their personal sins dealt with. Knowing that he was come from God, he came from God. John three twenty seven. Can a man receive anything except to come from heaven? Read Deuteronomy the 30th chapter. You'll see the fulfillment of that based upon Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. What Moses was teaching, that he himself knowing himself was the type that Christ would be the fulfillment of that even in terms of millennial reign. all things into, hand, into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God. He came from God, but he went back to God with humanity, and he took all of us with him. Do you know that's what it's saying in, 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 uh, in prophecy and in type in Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen, and Ephesians 4, and verse 8, he led captivity captive. You know, when we read that in the King James, when it says he led captivity captive, you know what he's saying? He led a whole host of captives those that were in captivity to him now, to lead them to their position in heaven. He led captivity captive. When when Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, he led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men. Those men are the gifts themselves. Those men are the gifts themselves. They have particular gifts, but the men that are given to the body, to the local assembly, are the gifts themselves. Ephesians 4, 8. He doesn't mention rebellion there like he did in Psalm 68, 18 because that has to do with the unsaved. <laughs> in his love, and his completion of his love for us and forgiveness, which is what we're going to go into. Probably don't have the time this morning, but 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 uh, we'll see when God has it, which it goes into forgiveness. There is He doesn't see us in, in, in a rebellious state. Even his loving chastisement is the proof of it. But how do we see ourselves? And how we see ourselves is how we'll see him. How we see him is how we'll see others. I don't know. Do we know enough? Do we? Do I? Do we know enough? He rose from supper. He's rising from a place of fellowship. He rises from supper. He rose from the dead. And he's bringing us into a place where there will be continual fellowship. Never again any any distraction or disturbance. There is now, because we know in part. But we're growing in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. I wish we understood which I understood that what grace is, God never gives us grace to live in sin, never one single time. And sin is just literally, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. One little attitude. (laughs) One just little, tiny little attitude. One protecting the self-life. Just one. Something about self starts with an attitude and enters into an expression. And some Christians would think that they, when they make it known, they're murmuring in Philippians 2 and verse 14, which is in their thought life, then it comes out. But, do all things without murmuring or disputing. Now it becomes out, it becomes known in conversation and they call that fellowship. (laughs) God help us. He rose from supper, and he's teaching, he laid aside his garments. He laid aside the outward manifestation in John 1 and verse 14. Then we get in Numbers the fourth chapter, that's the tabernacle. Wasn't much to look at on the outside. It was filled with beauty on the inside. So Numbers the fourth chapter of the tabernacle goes into John chapter 1 and verse 14. He laid aside the outward expression of his deity. He never laid aside his deity as some have been taught and some have taught. He never, he could never only be, he was truly God and truly man the whole time because it was that holy thing in Luke one thirty-five that was born of God, that very life, that humanity that was formed by God himself which made his blood even, perfect. The life of the flesh in Leviticus 17, 11 is in the blood. And his blood was separate in its creation to be a spotless lamb brought out again in the type of submissiveness in terms of the red heifer in Numbers 19, 1 and 2. And he took a towel. This is humanity. He took a towel, a servant's towel, a slave's towel, and girded himself. This is being brought out, if you want to see it, in Philippians chapter 2, specifically, and verses 5 through 11. But the reality is brought out in 2, 1 through 4. Esteem others better than yourself. If you have a nasty attitude, you're certainly not going to do that. You're going to esteem yourself better than others. Look not on your own things. Boy, I wish we'd get that one straight for a local assembly. Look not on your own things, your own plans. We have guides. There's a reason God's given us guides. Those that are in heaven, and I have scores of them, my pastors, in Hebrews thirteen seven. but we have living ones right now in Hebrews 13, 17. we have to obey them and submit ourselves to them. But no, we know enough to do what we know. And we're going to do it separate. (laughs) Okay. You stand to fall in Romans 14, 4 and 5 before the Lord. And he'll deal with all of our wills, won't he? Because he loves us. That's not a threat. That's a loving fact. He took a towel and he girded himself. I, I thought about that. He girded himself. I said, oh my God. Oh my God, Lord, you're the only one that could have done this. And because you're the only one that could have done this, you're the only one that would have done this. Because without him, John 15, 1 to 5, we can't do one single thing because we have that flesh that's in us that some would teach us not, which is a lie based upon Romans, the seventh chapter, and based upon John 6, 33, and again in, in Romans 7 and verse 18. And don't forgive me if I'm using too many scriptures, because I don't need it. Neither do you to receive this. Well, we might <laughs> to actually function in it. He girded himself. This is everything. I wish the Lords of Salvationists would knew this. Look through the Synoptics. From eternity, he was Lord and God, the Sovereign One. That needs to be knocked off. let's, let's talk about, knock it off. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. This <laughs> is God. This is God. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. This is substitution. And it's a continual reconciliation and entering into continual fellowship. Then he came to Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, you wash my feet? That's like some that come and they think they know enough. Is he talking to me? (laughs) Is that for me? I don't know, is it? (laughs) He couldn't be talking to me. No, and I mean, Job, God couldn't be talking to you. You're already too righteous. And when you justify yourself, you clear yourself of all guilt and condemnation. And we do have that in Christ in Romans 8, 1. But do we have to continue to judge the self, self self-judgment? Of course we do, based upon the truth of who we are in Christ. By what he's done, not what we do. It's so what he's done and what we receive. We don't go back to Deuteronomy 4 and verse 1 and Exodus 20, 3 to 17, with those 613 statutes and ordinance that are contained in those 10 Hebrew words, and that's why we put it in the booklet. We as in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He just happened to pour water in a little old basin, and he pours it out. It's Christ, by the way. And that goes into Ephesians 5 and verse 26, if you want to understand that, in 27. This speaks of fellowship, that's the continual fellowship, and this brings out 1 John chapter 1 in those first 10 verses. Began to pour water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. You want talk about humility? No, I'd rather hide my dirty feet and pretend. It's really, it's, it's beautiful. It, our opportunity is God humbling us, or else we don't have one. And, and to wipe them with a towel. Came to Peter, and he said, are you going to wash my feet? You? You're going to teach me? You're going to tell me? I would rather do it myself. You're going to tell me, Jesus? Wait a minute, I thought I was equal with you. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do you know not now, but you will hereafter. You know when it says that in John 13, verse 7, you know what's going back? That's, that's Luke twenty two thirty one 31 and 32. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired you and begged of me and got my permission like, like you know, I instituted and instigated with Job. He's begged my permission to have you that he may put you in a sieve and violently shake you. Was he an apostle at that time? Was Christ his teacher? Did he know some things? But some things, did they have to be shaken from him? Hebrews 12, 1 through 29, especially verses 25 to 29. He wants to put you in a sieve and violently shake you. But I have prayed for you, intercession. That's Romans 8:34, Hebrews 7, 25, Hebrews 9, verse 26. That's intercession. But I've prayed for you, I've interceded for you. Not that you wouldn't fail, I already knew you would. Even before I chose you to be a vessel for me to pour myself in. I pray for you that your faith fail not, that your even when you fail, your dependence on me won't. And when you're converted, a must, entrance into the calling. When you're converted, now you will grace out the brethren like you are, strengthen. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Joel 3, verse 10. Grace, it's all grace. It's all receiving. What's already been done. You don't know it now, Peter. And I'm going to carry you. You're going to preach and teach. John 21, 15 to 17. Oh yeah. And I'm gonna be faithful even beyond your repentance. Isn't that wonderful? Not that you don't need to and I need to. Not that we don't need to deal with issues between God and us and between each other in a local assembly. Maybe that'll take place at some point soon, then sooner than later, so that we can function in fellowship and oneness. And I'm going to carry you, Peter, where you wouldn't even think of going in John 21 and verse 18. I'm going to carry you where you wouldn't go. You know why? Because who's carrying us from the beginning? And did we forget who was carrying us? Did we forget? Did we think we were walking on our own because we knew enough? <laughs> Familiarity. Familiarity, and it's not that I think that it's not that I think some people are being familiar, but there will always be a warning, and a potential for it. And some may think that that I thought they were being familiar when I was in love, saying, "Okay, I don't think you are, but this is what could happen from both of us." And that can happen when, when babes don't want to be babes anymore even though they are and they want to be young men and when young men don't want to be young men anymore and they want to be spiritual dads and skip all the growth in the years and the learning and the sib-shaking. Shaft from the wheat. You know, that's what they did, you know. They'd go into the barn or wherever they went into In a manger where animals ate and they would shake take off the shaft that was no good and have the wheat that's what jesus was saying in john 12 24 except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and died abides alone but if it dies it'll bring forth much fruit the fruit that was brought out again in isaiah 53 1 through 12. fruit of the travail of his soul in 53 verse 11 of isaiah the shaft there is what god's dealing with us in the flesh separating it through the preaching of the word in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. soul from the spirit. Peter said unto him, you will never wash my feet. <laughs> do you know how, look at. do you know how this affects fellowship with us? Because some, some make the vessel the issue and not Christ in the vessel. In God's choice, they don't like God's choice. You're not gonna do this. You're not gonna do that to me. Because I think I'm something. And you may think and I may think we're comparing ourselves to the vessel but I'm going to tell you we're comparing ourselves to God himself through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who chose that vessel. There's no question about it. See, we're, we're being specific. We're having specific light. Specific. Jesus answered said unto him, And then Peter said, no, you won't wash my feet. Jesus said, if I wash you not, you have no part with me. What's the part? What's the washing of the feet? It speaks of the deepest intimacy in a relationship in and with and of Christ. Unless it happens, there's no intimate love. There's no love life. There's nothing to receive and there's nothing to give back. If I wash you, you have no part with me, part with me. See that word with? God said, I want you to go back, Ed, in your mind, as I've taught you, God, and been so faithful to you through the years, through the decades. Yep, decades, young people. Yep, decades. to John 1 verse 1, in the beginning and eternity past, the word logos and ha-logos was with pros, God, and with there speaks of the most intimate, deep, loving relationship that nothing can disturb or distract. Do you know Christ has dealt with that in our position? Do you know how that has to enter into the experience? And it's, it's only his to do, because God is only going to do through Christ what Christ has already accomplished. And he has to do the doing, because he's done the doing. <laughs> That'll take care of covenant theology and Lordship salvation and every other nonsensical evil philosophy that comes not from God, or from proper teaching, 1 John 2.20 and 1 John 2.27. We're almost gonna close. Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Listen to this. Again, I, I, I showed you, this is a blank page. This is what I was getting sitting here this morning. And what I'm getting is all of ours. And, and he's the author of it. I'm just a little vessel but this is what was going on this morning because he's dealt positionally with our hands and with our heads because when Christ is not my head in Colossians 1:18, in Colossians 2:19 I'll do whatever I want to do with my hands and those hands of the flesh but he's dealt with us but also my hands and my head and Jesus said unto him that is washed Right, he that has already bathed holy in terms of salvation, God being propitiated, you receiving the substitute, doesn't need to wash, he doesn't need to be washed anymore, his head or his hands, because that's dealt with by Christ. But for that to be an actuality in the experience, you need to have your feet washed so that you think properly in your head and that your hands do only his doing. That's Philippians 2, 12. 13, work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling for it is God which works in you both to will, never violating your will, but you submitted to his will, which is Christ in John 4, verse 34, and to do of his good pleasure, which is Christ alone. It's interesting how grace and truth. Listen to me. You can't separate grace from truth, truth from grace, and you can't separate any of it in terms of our relationship with God without the cross. And there's no glorying there, glorying in an attitude and holding on to it. <laughs> Galatians 6, verse 14. God forbid that I should glory. Of course, only in the cross of Jesus Christ, of whom the world thinking like the world and its deception in Revelation 12 and verse 9 and all its accusations and can a Christian function just like the world, the world who doesn't know God and accuses the, Christ, accuses the, the Christian because he's deceived, that can't be a believer in the flesh, deceived and now accusing? <laughs> Sorry. Very convicting to me personally, as it was this morning. He that is washed, bathed already, need not accept his feet, but is clean, completely. Did you know that? To the pure, all things are pure. Titus 1, verse 15. But to the unbelieving, can I be, am I an unbeliever in the flesh experientially? Yep. Even nothing is clean. Nothing is pure. Ah, And then you know what happens? The enemy comes in and he starts giving you little plans. This is not working here so we got to change. And just think, listen, you and I have had those thoughts and thank God they never come they never came to fruition. Cuz he interfered in his anticipative love and his prevenient grace. <laughs> and those don't you tell me those thoughts don't come. Cuz I know I had them and so have you. When things don't line up the way we think they should in the flesh and we gotta find it and get a little attitude, things gotta change. (laughs) We want the change in someone else (laughs) and God wants the change to be in us in our experience. Yes, we all have the potential for familiarity and you can do it ignorantly. And so can I. But once the light of the scriptures come on, thank God for that. So let's close. But is clean. All those that are mine are clean. They'll never go enter into the white throne judgment because they're clean. They're, they're purified. They're all just been crucified, Romans 6, 1 through 6, completely done away with, and no law or legalism will ever do anything to do that because Christ fulfilled it even in 6.14 and Romans 8.14. Now, now it's no longer the, the law, it's the Holy Spirit in 8.16 and 17 showing us our inheritance that Christ is finished. Only in his person and the work that he's accomplished. I'm going to keep up. I'll give you something to keep up with by the grace of Almighty God. But not all. Not all. Not all. God's lot concerning him has been finished, but how about their lot? He only understood that. So after, for he knew who should betray him. What does worry in the Christian do? What does bad attitudes towards one another, towards God? First of all, a bad attitude starts with God. Then it starts towards each other. And then think we can all get together and still have this fellowship. <laughs> wow. And we can allow it because we love them. Okay. All right. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Thank God we are. And that he purges and cuts off what is diseased in our experience because he did it positionally. That's, that's John 15, verse 3. It says when it says you are now clean, it means you're purged. Because you have, you have something in you that's old and that's dead from the old life that's in your experience. And then through Hebrews 4, 12, it's to be chopped off cut so that it now can produce fruit. The fruit that he's made in you that you don't produce to make him Lord. <laughs> you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again <laughs> it's the type of the sitting at the right hand of the Father, work was finished. Did you know that Jesus finished the work prior to the cross? He just went there to demonstrate it. John 17 verse four brings it out. I have glorified you, I've I've, I've already glorified you finished the work, now give me the glory. You know, young people, before honor is humility and anything you do, anything that God calls you do on a local assembly is a high privilege you don't deserve and it's not a right. Proverbs 15, 23 and 18, 12. Before honor is humility. Before honor is humility. It's a privilege. It's not a right. It's not something you take or I take and exalt myself above others. So after he washed his, their feet, he took his garments and was set down again. He said unto them, Know you what I've done to you? Do you know that? Do you, the Lord said to me this morning, do you know what I did, Ed? Did you know what I did? Yeah. Oh, God, no, I didn't know it this way, Lord. Now listen to this in verse 13. You call me Master and Lord. Was the calling based on them, something they did or something they made, or were they confessing who he is? Master and Lord. You don't make him that. He is that. And you say, well... For so, listen to what he said, I am. Well, what is I am? Master and Lord. No one made him anything. We didn't make our own fruit. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, do I experience that unless he washes my feet? Can I serve two masters in Matthew 6, verse 24? Can I serve my flesh in God? You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done unto you. This is forgiveness, by the way. Truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Master, Lord. Lord, right? Eh? Neither he that is sent, and you need to be sent. let <laughs> we'll get that one straight. Neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things positionally, you need to be taught them. And they enter into your experience. You'll be happy if you allow him to do the doing. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you. Amen.